0: Off the ball Anthony, Anthony and Anthony That will be the front three for Manchester United Martial, Alanga and Anthony I've laughed <laughs> off Subscribe now to the OTB Football
1: Podcast stream Wherever you get your podcasts And download the OTB Sports app The Sunday Papers On Off the Ball
0: And you're welcome to the Sunday paper review and off the ball. John Duggan with you this afternoon sitting in for Joe Malloy. We're joined by the Irish Examiner sports writer Brendan O'Brien and the CEO of Tenio. Ireland And the former Dublin senior footballer Mick O'Keefe to review the stories of the day. We will start the programme by expressing our deepest condolences to the family of Jack De Bromhead So 13-year-old Jack died in a tragic riding accident at the Glen Bay races on Ross Bay Beach in County Kerry yesterday. He is survived by his father, the trainer Henry DeBromhead, his mother Heather, his sisters Mia and Georgia. It's heartbreaking. Uh, the De Bromhead family from Waterford they're well known in racing circles obviously Henry a uh, goal cup and Grand National winning trainer Jack was a talented young jockey he rode a winner only last week at uh, Cars uh, in the pony races and may he rest in peace uh, I think the whole of the racing community the sporting community in Ireland is in mourning today at this tragedy and it's just devastating Mick and no words really no words for this
2: No and look it just puts it on in perspective really um, here's a young boy 13 years of age starting out his life doing something that he loves and just such a tragic tragic accident and look we've all lost people in in our lives and I think all you can do is have huge amount of sympathy all our thoughts are with the Debrahmed family Um, God only knows what they're going through today like it's really really sad Um, and hopefully they can find some strength in the next couple of weeks now to help them get through this because no success no amount of um, anything can, can, can prepare you for something like this. So, just hopefully, they, they get through the next few weeks.
0: Yeah, well said, Mac. Uh, like, uh, I think my heart breaks for them, absolutely breaks. And I just think there are no words, it's just thoughts and emotions and sorrow. And just, I think they're in everybody's thoughts, the, Br- the Bromhead family today. So, okay, uh, let's begin uh, the paper review uh, to go through the, the papers today. Uh, we have the Sunday Independent Sport. So, Conte's contenders. Hubert on the mark as Tottenham signalled their intent and Ten Hag vows to teach Ronaldo new lessons ahead of Manchester United and uh, Arsenal. That is uh, later on today on Off the Ball Jays Dark Day, Uh, Colm O'Rourke and Joe Brawley on outcry over attack and referee must spark sea change We have the Sunday Times Hammer Blow, Moyes fuming after VA organized late equaliser at Chelsea West Ham Boss says Mendy faked injury. Paul McGinley Poulter and I are on our different sides now, and it's really sad. Wayne Rooney's exclusive column. You can see the rivalry with Arsenal and Fergie's face. Here in his team talks. We also have the Daily Mail, Irish Daily Mail. Varsical. So Moyes and Rice Lamb, worst ever day for refs. Uh, Megan Campbell, we still have to give everything to reach the World Cup. Gerrard, so proud after Villa made their point. The Glazers treat United like a cash machine. They must go, says Gary Neville extracts from his book we also have the star very very dangerous and Ron stepped back boss Eric laying down the law and Haaland goal train still going to so 10 goals now in 6 games for Erlean Haaland in the Premier League back of the sun interesting little column here Man United, Lewis Hamilton ready to back takeover bid with Jim Ratcliffe Radcliffe is worth around £15 has been linked with buying the club as fans fume at the Glazers' ownership. Now we'll get Real and Euro glory vow after route. Ireland's seed off Hope. Uh, this is the great news that Ireland, if they beat Slovakia in the Women's World Cup qualifier on Tuesday, will be one of those top three seeds for the playoffs for the World Cup. Lampard sees Red about that challenge from Van Dijk on uh, Adamu on Anna yesterday in the Merseyside derby. We have the back of the mirror. Everton nil liverpool nil red mist lambs fury at van Dyke let off uh, anthony and agent war people arguing about money pretty depressing uh sells thump jars for four back of the sunday world anto puts chris in crisis so cristiano ronaldo slips down the pecking orders ten hag is ready to unleash new brazilian star uh, john aldridge and mo show from sala uh, a McGrath, brave eric has found red spark and Vera's green army are cup fresh, and also cities Hal and Hell. Erling continues scoring next boys, but Villa stun Pep's men. A lot of Premier League reaction, and the Observer is always worth a read as well on the Sunday. So, end of an era, Serena departed with grit, passion, fighting in the heat of the battle with everything she had. Obviously, knocked out of the US Open. She says she's evolving, but she's retired, folks. Serena Williams. So, Brendan, where do we want to start? I think there's probably two big stories this week. There's the referee assault in Roscommon and the fallout out of that and whether things will actually change. And then there's the women's team and their journey, hopefully, to World Cup in Australia and New Zealand next year.
3: Yeah, I think the referees certainly gets more of the coverage um, this week, like you say, after the midweek incident in uh, in Roscommon, and interesting to look at it, I mean, in one way you have to say, what more can be said? It's not a new story, it's something we've seen before, unfortunately. Uh, I think in one of the papers there's a list of, I think it's Derm- beside Dermot Crowe's piece, yeah. there's a list of five infamous GA refereeing controversies <clears throat> from Johnny Price, Wicklow 1985. The ref and the bootcase, and then it goes down to Martin Sludden Tyrone at the, the Leinster Senior Football Final between Louth and Meath, and that's one I was actually at, and it's one of it, it it brought it back to me very vividly when I just see the mention of it and the picture of it. Referee Martin Sludden being chased off Croke Park in twenty ten. If you go back to then, the amount of column inches and the amount of airspace that was given to what it was it, a live line you know, topic. It was
0: yeah yeah. I mean and that that's there's the there's a bigger story that Monday than the World Cup final, which was that evening between yeah. Spain and the I Netherlands. Mean,
3: that's 12 years ago and there was a lot of <clears> hand-wringing <throat> at the time. What do we do? Where does the blame lie? Is it a top-down? Is it a bottom-up problem? Mm. Um, should referees go and strike? Everything was debated. And like you say, if it was live-line, you know, that's kind of the cultural zeitgeist. So 12 years on, we've another issue. And I'm sure if you were to look at the papers now to back then, would would we be seeing much different in it? And it's interesting. Even Shane McGrath has a piece in the Daily Mail. Dermot Crowe, Colum O'Rourke, Joe Brodie, yeah. yeah, in the Sindoe, uh, Mick Foley, in, in the Sunday Times. And where where do you go? I mean, uh, you know, do you j- just throw a lot of mud at the wall and hope something sticks and it changes. Because just even just to pick out one aspect of it, um, Shane talks about you know a well-informed lawyer or a vigilant administrator will exploit sloppiness and procedural rule get people off or whatever, and uh, troubling as that recurrent weakness is though, it's not at the root of the GA's refereeing crisis, attitudes are. And that begs the question, where does culture come from? Where does attitude Mm. come from? And if stuff is leakable at the top, if we're seeing these issues in terms of players and administrators and everybody else getting off the top, that's a cultural issue and it does feed its way down. We see it in politics, we see it in economics with recessions and everything else. So I would argue that it is incumbent, very much so on the GEA, at the top level to absolutely – the GA will say that they have rules and regulations for this kind of thing, but as we've seen here, there's too much gets through and that whole culture needs to stop and that does start at the top. And then you work your way down, there's a hundred other questions you can ask.
2: Yeah, John, I, I look, All there's about seven or eight articles in what we've read already this morning. and they all talk about it's a disgrace and cowardly and tuckery and you know hopefully this serves to ignite change but like we've read this for 15-20 years okay 99% of GA matches that happen this weekend next weekend will go off without incident but there's still too many there's still too many incidents and it is a cultural issue that now exists within GA and soccer Um, not rugby um, interestingly but soccer and GA from under 10s up to junior soccer junior football junior hurling There's a lack of respect um, and it comes from a load of different things. I I, I think we need to educate kids and we need to educate mentors from day one on the importance of refereeing and the importance (coughs) of, of refs and respect. And there's also an issue, I think, here at the top where <clears throat> there's a grayness in the rules and a grayness around GA, right? And that's
3: mentioned in a couple of the pieces, the actual yeah. playing rules, you mean?
2: And there's a grayness in the yeah. rules, and then there's a grayness in the application of the
0: rules, yeah. and then there's also a grayness in the enforcement of the rules. There's a grayness in the challenges as well. The challenges in the rule book and the technicalities you of getting off, and that culture as well. 100%.
2: And again, if you have a, a, a system where, you know, four guys get, get done, you know, for a melee, and then on the Tuesday you have a technicality and a fella gets off the hook, like, you're already undermining. Yeah. the officials by doing that um, and there is a fear of intimidation from referees and like you know I had a working with an under 9 GA team yesterday and there was 15 year olds ref <clears throat> and you're trying to educate the kids about going up and thanking the ref and all that kind of stuff but like you'd honestly take a step back and go who in their right mind mm. for 40 quid would go out and referee A junior football match or a minor match tomorrow because there is that fear of intimidation and it has to be stamped out and we're going to be talking about this in five or six years time unless they get a hold of this issue and one case is just one case too many at this point and Shane has alluded to a strike I think he calls for, will this wake people up, Um, but I think this is a four or five year journey we need to go on starting with education for the kids and the mentors really kind of significant disciplinary action and enforcement as well and to give the referees the authority and referees will get things wrong and there's fire and soccer and all that stuff that goes on but like until such time as we get to that we're going to be back here and there'll be some fella and there was this kind of you know ha ha kind of macho man stuff about the fella in, in Wicklow getting put in the boot and mm-hmm. there's this kind of culture of kind of you know disrespect and machoism that goes with, with disrespect for referees but to be honest with you at this stage we'll have no game if we don't have referees and they need to stamp it out
0: Well it's interesting you talk about rugby there because <coughs> Joe Brody in his column yeah. in the Sunday Independent says my son Turlock uh, if I cor- pronounce that correctly was a keen rugby player he started playing uh, at Malone when he was 11 and he was shocked to find he was spending most of the season on the sideline having questioned a decision his teammates were upset with him for mouthing his rugby coaches made it clear that it was totally unacceptable, and if it continued, they would be forced to send him home for good. He quickly learned not to open his mouth, not because he didn't want to, but because rugby's zero tolerance culture doesn't permit it. Soon, it was second nature for him.
2: No, oh, absolutely, and, and look, um, that's that's true, and it's not it's not Ireland. This issue, this is the same in England, you know, um, Wales, anywhere. The difference between rugby and and other sports, you know, and and the, the kids see it on the telly, like the kids take it all in. And they'll watch a Premier League match and they see David Moyes or they see someone else Mm. pontificating, squaring up to referees, squaring up to officials. They see players arguing every single decision with a referee, that's crept into to GA, that culture. And GA you have a, a secondary kind of undertone as well. But in rugby, there just it just doesn't happen. And yeah. I wonder is it because, you know, when the kids start, the dads are involved and the mums and they're on the pitch. Um it's a technical game. But you don't see players, okay, the automatic captain is allowed to go up and mm. talk to a referee. But you don't see a player going up and squaring up to referees referee it's, it's, in it's, rugby it,
3: at any level. It, it's interesting as well, because we, you touched on it as well, Mick, about, and it's in Shane's piece in the, in the Mail where he says, football and hurling regulations are in practice, played through great swaths of grey, a liminal space where law and disorder mix and meld. And on the cultural side of it, when we're talking about rugby, I mean, rugby is the most queried yeah. game in terms of laws and regulations. We see it on social media, in the paper, on, on the airwaves, every time there's a game. Every game of rugby that you watch that means anything, you will have people absolutely laying into referees off the pitch. And yet on the pitch, it's all very, you know, the old gentlemanly kind of ethos that's in there. So in a way that kind of takes away one of the excuses, if you want to use an excuse yeah. for GA. 8 say, ah, you know, there's, is that a black card? Is that a tackle? Should the tackle rule isn't defined? And, you know, that's what gets people annoyed about it. People get annoyed about every sport. You will always have that tribal issue in it. So that takes away that kind of aspect on it. And it was interesting as well, there was um, a very good piece in, in the Irish Times yesterday with Gordon Manning and um, yeah. Larry McCarthy, the GA president, who's obviously our first overseas based president. And, and in it, McCarthy admitted that, had he his time back, he's 18 months halfway through his term, he would like to go back and maybe have more of a focus on the referees issue. That that's one thing. If you had his time back, so look. Hopefully, in the next eighteen months, and hopefully the next guy is coming through. Because in the GA, it's so unusual that you've the 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 president and the the effective CEO. You have two kind of heads of organization that are very much equal in in terms of a lot of ways. So hopefully, the next person coming in is is looking at this and. Well they the have platform. to because yeah. it's
0: going to be like as Joe Brody said in the Sun Independent like the Catholic priest that there won't be enough yeah. referees to go around. But you oh. look, at,
3: look at the piece in, in um, the, about the Roscommon uh, stat one of the stat, stats that Dermot Crowe has he says five years ago one of the referees he spoke to drew attention to a crisis in the recruitment of referees in Roscommon with half of them over the age of 50. So like we were saying go back to Martin Sludden go back to Johnny Price in, uh, and, and the Wicklow incident in 85 this has been with us all our yeah. adult lives. Yeah. And nothing's been There's
0: fixed. a disease, though, of short memories. Yeah. Uh, and and also true. there is there is a cultural... The GA fans are the best in the world. I think GA supporters are amazing. You go to Coke Park, we all mingle together. We go and we have a drink or a cup of tea afterwards and, and commiserate and celebrate. But there is a culture in GA, and it's not just based on referee abuse, of um, aggro, especially mm. in Gaelic football, especially at club level, I would opine, that is just baked in the cake. And that's got to be overturned or, or changed or in some way. And I, I, I suppose what I'm kind of trying to get at here: what are the solutions around this? How can we get solutions that are not uh, going to have us sitting around here in tears time after another referee like has been assaulted and something serious could happen? I mean, that gentleman is brought to hospital. Yeah, you know, it's pretty grim.
2: But there's a, there's there's a, there's hard men and a machoism in 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 most field sports. Like there's a. Strong machismo in, in rugby and the harder to hit, the bigger the hit, the you know, and yeah. people get the, it raises a crowd. In hurling people like a hard man soccer, there's centre backs that would take your head off. Right. And it's the same. It's a and, and the grayness of the application I, I don't think is an excuse either. Like we had the incident when Ireland played New Zealand, um, in the second test where the he was the player was really late on Mac Hansen. You remember that? Yeah. Uh, and kinda like you don't see the Irish manager yeah. <laughs> or somebody squaring up to the referees is coming off the pitch. There's a reason why there there are policemen at National League Alliance leagues matches, is because one of their briefs is to make sure that if the referees in trouble, they can walk with a referee off mm. the pitch. Like that's so what's the solution? The solution is it's 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 a it's, it's going to take time. I think it's cultural. I think it's educational for mentors. I think it's zero tolerance. You got to get with Rudy Giuliani, New York, zero yeah. tolerance. Um, and this thing of of being able to you know um, challenge and undermine referees post game <clears throat> i don't think we should be in that position at all so no. for me it's a, sorry
3: brand for me it's 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 a it's going to take time yeah uh, i i think it's a two pronged a- approach but it starts i mean what's the low hanging fruit of it the zero tolerance yep. like the cultural changes absolutely has to happen education all that absolutely crucial but i would go further Mick, i'd say that's a generational thing i think in 15 years time 20 years time, if you start doing that properly now, you'll still be trying to get there. It's not a four or five year fix in my opinion. But and, but, yeah. but, but the, the penal side of it, I think, is the low hanging fruit. That's where you can make changes now, and that's the point that Broly's making. Like, he's making all sorts of suggestions. He says at one point, um, if a player criticises a decision or remonstrates to the referee, he receives an immediate red card and a minimum eight week ban. Now, in practice, I don't know how that's going to work, but I see his point. Like, there are things you can do where this has to be rooted out immediately. And you go, you, if, if something like that came in, you'd have a situation where yeah. teams would be <clears> finishing with 12 men. Fine, is that what you put up with? It's the same with rugby with concussion and, and high hits. Well, Look, at what stage do we say, Oh this is ruining the game, yeah. like having the Southern Hemisphere. But what's the big picture? You want to make it safer for players and for referees. And if the entertainment value and the spectacle takes a hit, that has to be done. And, and the application needs to go from, you, you know, you have this always thing around, well,
2: will I be able to apl- uh, apply this in a yeah. Junior C football yeah. or match or hurling match? I think it has to be zero tolerance. We see, I guarantee today, 10 players will touch a referee today. Mm. There'll be a hand on the shoulder, they'll mm. be up in his face. in in, in the Premier League games today. You're beginning to see that in GA players touching referees, encroaching on their space. I would have a a zero tolerance of, you talk back to a referee as a manager or player, it's a minimum of a yellow card Mm. sanction. You touch a referee, off, yeah. gone. And it, it, within within a year you'll have all the grumbling and we'll do the typical thing of oh well we've we gone too far. You got it, we have mm. to do it at this stage. Going back again, okay there are, <clears throat> you know, a lot of stuff happens and there's, there is a great culture in most clubs in the GEA where they don't, they'll actually self-sanction people who are poor on the line and I've seen it in clubs where somebody gets a reputation for being a bit noisy on the line and the club will actually have a word with them which Mm -hmm. is the right thing to do but I think the Michael Foley thing just from from my side just to finish is you know sometimes there's certain things there's no words left not because there's nothing to say but because all the pontificating and moral condemnation has already been done at different times in different ways ending with the same outcome if we have the same outcome here and we're talking about this in two years time well then I, I, I think you know yeah. it's, a, it's a massive step backwards
0: yeah just uh, some <coughs> Dermot Crow uh, parts of his article uh, the ink barely dry in a recent academic paper showing that almost a quarter of GA referees had experienced physical assaults knocked in this is Kevin Nocton the referee in in, in, in the incident uh, ended up unconscious in hospital left on the field for about 45 minutes before an ambulance arrived in Ballinasloe. also in his column a study by members of the University of Ulster in Coleraine revealed 23% of GA match officials surveyed had suffered physical abuse. 94% had experienced verbal abuse. A total of 438 match officials were surveyed with an even geographical spread of respondents from across all four provinces. Just under 10% said verbal abuse was a factor in all games they officiated in. Over 30% said it was an occurrence in every second game. Almost half said such abuse made them consider quitting. They said it had an impact on their mental health and well-being. They cited managers and coaches as the main culprits, 85% laying the blame at their door. Also in Michael Foley's column in the Sunday Times, last year the inter-county referee James Owens reckoned the number of referees in Wexford alone had dropped from 80 to 50 in three years, nearly 40%. This is is a crisis. And it has taken this incident to highlight that as a crisis.
3: Absolutely. And like you say, just on that last stat, the... The one here as well about a report from the Oireachtas Committee in Sport in June showed that 66% of newly trained FAI referees had quit within two years, abuse being the main cause. These are unbelievable. Now they're not sustainable figures. They're just not. So give respect, get respect. That's not doing enough, is it? No, it's not. not, not enough, enough, no. No, more than that. The, PR campaigns. But look, that is part of the education. I mean we can be we can be. But uh, is it
0: wider? Is is there like when you're looking at Armagh <clears> Tyrone <throat> earlier this year and Armagh Galway and I I even want to take the eye gouge thing out of that yeah. and everything else. But even like forget about the eye gouge. But just the whole melee, the chamozzle, this kind of ah, it's grant. It's baked, you know, mm. it's, it's fine. Is that contributing to this culture as well?
2: Yeah, it yeah. is. And, and and lack of sanctions contributes too. I, again I I wanna be fair in this, like, you know, most clubs up and down the country set out their stall early to have ultimate respect for each other, ultimate respect for coaches, mentors, and ultimate respect for referees. There, there, there is a lot of clubs that that sit out their stall and you sit down with, with groups of mentors and they're starting out their journey at eight and nine uh, and, and 10. Um, and I, I, I do think there is that, but there, there's just this minority and there is this ethos and there is this culture. Um, and we don't want to take the physicality out of the game. Yes, there's grayness in some of the interpretation of the rules, but we can't have a shrug your shoulder thing when a, a guy allegedly, or not, walks onto a pitch thirty seconds into a second half
0: match, mm-hmm. allegedly headbutts a referee and walks straight off with young lads, young lads, and and then they're then they're crying.
2: But that that's it's bananas. Like it's actually like it's disgusting. And there's all these WhatsApps doing around, and you're all probably getting the same things and the videos. And with some of the commentary around it from people who are allegedly there or saw it and about people involved, like you know there guys and particularly men who, who have kind of built this hard man reputation about, you know, being the head case around the place and, you know, like, but that's this, whoever did that should go to jail. To be quite frank, that's an assault. Um, and whoever did that should be sanctioned. Forget about a lifetime ban. Well, we,
0: we don't know exactly what happened. No, we don't. No, we so don't. And I want to be careful yeah, in that yeah, because,
2: yeah, I, because the video
0: cuts out at a certain. Yeah, we point, don't know exactly what happened. If,
2: if, if somebody, if somebody, if somebody went on and, and if someone assaulted a referee, yeah, like
0: it could have been a push and he could have fallen. And Absolutely, have been, you know. So. But
2: if 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 that happened, it's it's a matter for. I suppose
0: what we're that. saying is maybe Mick, that if it happened on the street and if there was assault on the street, yeah. that would be handled in a in a way that everybody would expect it to be handled.
1: And that's this the same. Yeah. The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball The Irish women's
0: team um, it was amazing on on Thursday that we got the result against Finland and the thing about it is now is that the seeding have worked in our way that if we beat Slovakia on Tuesday we will be in that uh, I suppose top tier playoff position for the World Cup finals in Australia and New Zealand next year I'm disappointed I have to say we congratulate people for their sports writing here every week uh, on the paper review Um, I'm looking through the Sunday Independent and the Sunday Times I'm seeing one article from David Kelly uh, in the Sunday Independent one article from Paul Rowan in the Sunday Times Uh, for the first time in our history we could have a women's team qualifying for a World Cup Finals I think it deserves more coverage than that I think it's bigger than that I see three articles from the referees Perspective and all that kind of thing in the Sunday Independent. And I'm kind of going, surely this deserved. We had from Thursday until today more coverage than it's received. I actually think the mail have been best on this. Mark Gallagher has re- re- written a really, really good piece in the mail. And there's also, I think, the back page as well. Campbell, we still have to give everything to reach the World Cup. So um, we could see by the TV coverage, we could see by the reaction of the players that this is now becoming something that is building momentum, building ahead of steam. And hopefully we can get the job done and qualify i don't know what you guys think in terms of the coverage of it is there enough should there be more but this to me is the biggest story of the week now the referees is, is more a societal story yeah, but this is biggest, the biggest sporting yeah, story of the yeah. week yeah
3: and yeah i think it's 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 a fair observation to make a fair opinion to have um myself and mick were talking outside about the, the strange nature of this august september mm. period as well given that the all-irelands have been brought back the rugby really isn't kicking off another a couple of weeks at the urc uh, and in terms of big, big rugby games, it'll be November really before we're into them. So there certainly is a gap there. We saw it filled for a little bit with the European Championships in Munich and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, look, there could there could be a little bit more. Um, I don't know the, the ins and outs of uh, staffing levels or, or editorial opinions in them, but um, it's certainly a fantastic story. Um, you have to but the,
0: the stories in all these players the stories in every single one of those players and they're now becoming mm. identifiable to the public Katie McCabe yeah. I think most people would know who she is now mm. um, th- they all have their stories Lily Ag even the goal scorer the other night came on got a Cork grandmother Yeah, uh, is is not young came into the team and we obviously not all know her, pa, Pa's recent story but these are ambassadors the, 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 I suppose the, the whole thing I took out of the other night whether we qualify for the World Cup or not is the potential of it
2: yeah mm. I, I, I agree with you John I, I, I think this is this is huge and I think it's huge for women's sport um, I think it's great for Irish football um, as well and you know I, I, I think there was a good bit of coverage during the week around it there was definitely a buzz around yeah. the, the fact that this was a big game um, big crowd albeit disaster M50 7 o'clock the first day the kids are back at school to get across and you could just see there was a few season tickle or something just didn't make it to the game, um, which was considering it was a full house. I thought that was an interesting thing as well. But um this is a team I think that the Irish public identifies with. I think they've grown up with this team over the last number of years and the ups and downs. There's great personalities in that squad. Um And, you know, in, in a way, as you said, it doesn't really matter. I think it'd be amazing if they, if they qualified for a tournament because... You know, you can't see it. If you can't see it, you can't be it. And at least, Lisa Fallon, she was on radio during the week. I think um, maybe she was on one of the early early morning shows, and she was brilliant. And she spoke about how the journey that's gone from you know the tracksuit gate that we all know about, where the girls didn't have liberty hall and all that. Yeah, and you know, you look at the, the absolute disdain and and disrespect that was shown by the previous administration of the FAI towards women's soccer like The potential of women's soccer in this country is enormous. It is a sleeping giant. The amount of girls now playing football, and even if this team qualifies for a championship, and you know, that might be the level of the achievement, which is an amazing achievement. What that does for the girls playing on the under 14s and 15s and 16s to be able to see that there's a beautiful picture in the in um up on one of the info or sports file sites of the Ireland under 15 girls team, and they're all around Vera Powell. I don't even think she knows who they are, but they all went as a, as a team together, they're all in there cheering on their team the girls did a lap of honour like I think it's a brilliant story and I think um, it's something that we should be embracing I, I think the coverage has been okay this week um, there was obviously a bit of a spike spike during the week um, but I think it'll ramp up now again for the next game if they win that I think John I think they're seeded for the draw yeah, That's um, right, yeah, yeah. which makes a big difference again um, I wouldn't be brilliant if they qualified
3: um, just to give everyone that opportunity to get behind
0: the team Well imagine we all getting up early in the morning to watch them in Australia and New Zealand next mm, yeah. year that would be pretty cool
3: there is also the point that, as Vera Pau would say herself, they haven't qualified yet. No, that means
0: I mean, no. I mean that, that was... You can't get carried away, No, yeah. but, but the
3: point I'm making is that in a, in a lot of ways, if you boil it down, that game against Finland on Thursday was massive for the squad internally that a lot of people, probably floating voters, don't really get. Do you know what I mean? If you're not following it completely, it's... I think it's back in 2020 when they lost that game to Ukraine in Kiev... And that was the big thing about this game. Yes, it gets them a, a, um, a playoff place for the World Cup, but that really lanced the boil of, of Kiev. I mean, when you think back to that game, the, the ridiculous nature of the Owen goal the conceded, mm. the unfortunate nature of it, Katie McCabe missing a penalty, and then for Ukraine to go out and lose the playoff to Northern Ireland, who the Republic would have beaten, to miss out on the Euros in England and everything that unfolded there. And there's been a lot of the players talking about the the spillover effect of the euros in England and what that's done and it's it's built up the game in Ireland but I would argue that we have not yet had that moment yet that when mm-hmm. it does happen that they qualify and you you quite rightly say it you
0: haven't had our Gary McKay moment we yet. haven't oh, wow.
3: and that some somebody mentioned that during the week yeah. it was a line in the paper or maybe maybe it was one of you guys and off the ball but that line was mentioned during the week we're still waiting on that yeah but well, it's
2: it's 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 so it, it kind of they didn't play well for long periods yeah. tonight and actually you look back to the Gary Mackay thing, You was only thinking about it during the week as well, as like, you have to fall over the line sometimes for that yeah. big moment. I, I I look at this um, success and momentum and there's an inevitable momentum around the women's soccer team, which is great. Two things. One is it kind of, is another part of that story of the Katie Taylor, Leona McGuire, Rachel Blackmore, the GA. Mead footballers. Mead footballers. Everything. Ellen Keane. Ellen Keane. Like, mm. Kira McGeehan like there's this huge momentum around women's sport in Ireland which is amazing where's that going to go eventually I don't know are we going to end up in a pay equality scenario in the next Well, that's the, the really,
0: that, that is really an interesting thing I remember when Europe first won the Ryder Cup it was in uh, 85 yeah. but in 83 Tony Jacklin said we're going on Concord to America and it gave psychologically Europe a feeling that they were equals and that with Seamus Coleman and, and with the Irish yep. uh, the FAO symbolically I think that would have given the women's team a huge psychological boost no, to get paid I, exactly the same. I fully agree with you and look you know
2: match fees are match fees and it's not a an absolute barometer of 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 payment well, right yeah. as we know but I think it was psychological and I give huge credit to the Irish um authorities and Karen Medler negotiated that with the Coleman and and the and the women's team psychologically I think that was huge. I think, you taught. we're treating you all the same as a, as a federation. Mm-hmm. And I think that was absolutely brilliant. I think also we need to give credit to the FAI around their structures of that National League at 15s and 17s, which is bringing this conveyor belt of talent through. And it's not unlikely for a girl now to be 14 thinking, I could play for Arsenal here and make a career out of, out of football, which you wouldn't have said maybe 15, outside of the Emma Burns, mm. maybe some of the ones of the trailblazers that were there. And I think that's really important. So I think you can look at it in the, the context of is this bearing fruit? Because th- these things just don't happen by accident. It's because there's been a huge amount of work done by the P-mounts and Shells and Stella Maris's and treaties and all these clubs that are pumping equal resources in. And and the other thing, sorry, just on the women's sport piece is it's now become, and rightfully, a commercial imperative that you have to have yeah. a vibrant women's section. and you know, you see that with the sponsorship of the ladies'
0: uh, teams. Sky and Cabaret and all that 100% being involved. Rugby, soccer, GA, whatever it is. So that's a lot about branding as well, doesn't it? And you know, maybe the men's team, you know, can get to that place because...
2: I, I hope they do. And I think, look, uh, you know, there's an innocence about the women's team and I mean
0: that in a nice possible way. They're, they're, they really embrace... The, the well, it's PR interesting you say that because in, in Mark yeah. Gallagher's piece, it helps that this is an easy team to like. Yeah. Look at the celebrations on Thursday. Look at how the players took the time to sign autographs and post their pictures. There's lovely innocence to how connected they are to their supporters, an ocean away from the glass bubble that the stars of the men's game live in.
2: I know, and it's true. And look, you know, as you know, look, the work we are, we're all in where, you know, the access you get um, to women's players, the weeks of matches um, is unrecognisable yeah. to watch again and I don't blame the players for that I blame the the, yeah. the, the bubble around the players right but there's almost like and I've definitely found this with ladies football and, and rugby to a, to a point and now with football soccer is the, I think the girls take it upon themselves that they know they're ambassadors Yeah. and I don't think there's any hard conversation around you need to turn up for this interview or you need to post on Instagram or you need to do whatever and sign the autographs. They just do it because yeah. I think they know themselves that, that that they have to do it for the
3: next generation. And mm. I think we've lost that connection a bit with the men. There is, and, and there is that sense that they know that they're kind of ambassadors for women's sport. And they're like you mentioned, Mick, they're at a moment where things are starting to, to mushroom and, and multiply. And they're very, very aware of that. And maybe we'll talk about Rory McIlroy later on, and hi- how he's taken on the board of ambassador for better or ill with mm-hmm. the live stuff, and how that's improved his game. I think that's improved where they are as athletes as well. That they're they're embracing this. That could be a massive weight on your shoulders. And I mean, uh, it could excuse me. It could have been on Thursday that the magnitude of yep. of everything got to them, but they found a way to get through it. And I think, by and large, it is actually helping them as 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 sports people. There
2: was an anxiousness about how they played the first yeah. thirty minutes, and, and and even Katie McCabe, who's the the superstar of the team, you know, looked nervous to start, and mm. and that expectation was sitting on their shoulders, I think. But like they got through it, um, and I, I I think they're fabulous. I think they're so open, you know, um, and isn't that lovely? And maybe that's why we're so kind of <laughs> fond of them, you know, that and we really want to see them do well. Um, and I found that with the. The Dublin women's team or the Mead team, or you kind of get
0: to know them yeah. a bit
2: better. That you kind of feel Very you true. have that little bit of disconnect. Well, there's an accessibility, you know. Yeah. If,
0: if, you know, if you wanted to speak to Leona Maguire, you probably would be able to get to speak yeah. to Leona Maguire. Yeah. But if you wanted to speak to somebody in some of the men's sport, if you want to speak to Rory. Like you know, <laughs> global superstars, harder. You know, yeah, so. yeah.
1: The Sunday papers on off the ball. The Sunday papers on off the ball.
0: Man U Arsenal today, lads. Uh, this was one of the great games in in world football. Now it's still a, a game with a lot of, you know, magnitude and uh, I- uh, iconic nature behind it. Uh, but obviously, competitive nature would say that Man City Liverpool is the game at the moment in the world. But this, this has got a great history. Wayne Rooney uh, had a really good piece in the Sunday Times about the kind of the battles in the mid uh, noughties between uh, Man U and Arsenal.
3: Yeah, when is the last time? Arsenal would have played Man U and definitely been in the better place as bad as United have been for the last 10 years or whatever you know Arsenal have been probably 2004 I was going to say yeah. it's like, you know. like who's the tallest pygmy like, it's like
2: <laughs> they both haven't
3: exactly been brilliant
2: for the last
3: you know but that, you know <coughs> it's, a, it's a stranger but the Rooney article is brilliant I've actually, coincidentally, I've, I've read um, a couple of books in the last week. The, the Matthew, Did you read
0: the 1999 yeah, one? Yeah, brilliant.
3: Just that the anecdotes in it are just little bits and pieces. Don't oh. spoil it now. No, sure. no, 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 no. What it's was telling me well, about it, well worth it. a read. Yeah. It's very well laid out. The format of it is very, very clever. Very sharp, sharp, concise chapters on different players, different parts of the season. And he goes into great detail in that great semi-final in the replay in, uh, in Villa Park. And, I, 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 you know, more than any United game of that whole Ferguson era, I remember where I was, who I was with, what I was drinking, um, yeah. my reaction when Ryan Giggs scored the goal. It's so vivid in my mind, and yet I totally forgotten something as basic as Ferguson had actually changed his team up. Yeah. He, had, he, had, Giggs only came on after 61 minutes. You know, he would actually looked ahead and he'd said, for us to do, to even think about doing what we want to do, I need to rest players for this game and Giggs came on, a refreshed Giggs, and he did what he did. There
2: was a missed penalty in that game as well, right? Yeah, Dennis Bergkamp, yeah. last-minute
3: injury yeah. time, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, <laughs> the treble could have been gone. Yeah. And uh, the other book is the red-on-red on red one of the united um, Liverpool rivalry, and they go into the, I think it was the fourth round game at Old Trafford. Between, all sure. Yeah, which was the kind of the dress rehearsal for Barcelona. Um, which I'd forgotten about as well. So it's been it's been a great couple of weeks of kind of nostalgia on this, and Rooney's absolutely plugs yeah. straight back into it with a brilliant look. And back new, at. new information as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Gary Neville stuff, like, is
1: maybe
0: go through it there.
3: The Gary Neville stuff. I mean, how many times have we all seen that video of
0: Keane and Vieira in the
3: Keane and Vieira? And I'll see you outside picking someone on your own side or your own size. And here we go. So Wayne Rooney is talking about how. Um, Vieira basically went looking for Gary Neville. I think Vieira and someone else chased Gary down the tunnel. He's not a fighter, Gary, not off the pitch. And he ran into our dressing room. What's up with you, he said. He told us what happened and when the teams lined up to go out, Roy went straight to Vieira. If you're going to pick on someone, try me, he said. (laughs) Like the image, the, the the image of Gary Neville running, of all people, yeah, yeah, with his tail between his legs, back into the United dressing room, cowering behind the door or whatever. Like, what's up with you, like? You
2: know it, it was it was the outstanding rivalry of that era. Oh, it was era. just brilliant, like you know. Um, and you look back now. It looks, party you thinks, you know. What Rooney says here from our side, you know, he can more or less says if we beat Arsenal, we would probably yeah. find ourselves to win the league. And you, know, you wouldn't say that today, obviously. Yeah. Um, but there, you look at the you know Pizzagate, the tunnel. There were two different days, yes. right. you had the rude Vanisteroy um thing where he was getting patted on the head by Keon or worse. Yeah. Um and then I didn't realise and you completely forget sometimes with time, like he took a penalty the following year early on mm. in the season into the Stratford end and scored it. Um and the pressure Rooney talks about the anxiety on it on his face. And I think and John we were chatting about this earlier. Like I, I, I think it was a really niggly um, rivalry that kind of took the best out of both of them though I don't think it ever occurred. it did spill over right but I don't think it got really really nasty um, or bitter um, and actually I think it was brilliant for the Premier League to have two teams go toe to toe
0: like Chelsea, that Chelsea Liverpool had a bit more bitterness I think a couple of years later didn't it Jose and Rafa and all that kind of maybe stuff maybe bitterness but in terms of consistent spite yeah, yeah.
3: this was definitely yeah. I mean how to compare it? like it's a different era you know Liverpool and
0: City now but
3: I, I I think it's the best rivalry yeah, that the, the Premier League has this
0: had. This one, Arsenal United had more of an edge, and City Liverpool's very. Oh, we yeah. all play beautiful football. It'll be a Beautiful yeah. football game, yeah. and Klopp we'll and Guardiola love each other afterwards. Yeah, but
2: is I, it yeah, look, it, was, it was interesting in, in, in hindsight as well. Like that at that time, right, and there was all this nostalgia in the nineties. But you know you had that kind of it was that time where it was just changing where you had all these influx of superstars right so you had you know Van Nistelrooy you had Burkamp, you had these oh, foreign players on a better way of saying it right and they were brilliant And then, but they were backboneed by these kind of hardened yeah. kind of pros almost who straddled the years right yeah, so yeah. you had the Bruces and Pallisters and United at the time you had Keown and you know and you had this kind of you know perfect balance of yeah. It was a real kind of fellas who knew what it meant kind of yeah, thing yeah, and yeah. then you had this, this the glamour the, the silk and steel <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. yeah exactly it, it's,
3: it's, and it's it's interesting as well because the books um, kind of touching it that I was talking about earlier about, you know, Fergie. What was it he brought as a manager? And you know, he wasn't a tactical genius by any stretch of the imagination. Like very little in the way of a tactical breakdown of a team. People talk about the Matt Busby era. Go out and play, boys. Enjoy yourselves. Look for a red shirt or whatever. Like it wasn't quite that basic. But Ferguson was not. You know, he wasn't Pep Guardiola by any stretch. And Wayne Rooney touches on it here again. He says, the Arsenal game was the one game where Alex Ferguson let the opposition take the initiative. Arsenal would have possession, there was nothing we could do about that. So we'd sit in the mid-block, close the spaces, the art play through, and hit them on the break. So it's strange because we didn't work that much in those games tactically. So it's like, it's it's literally a different era. You know, we didn't work that much tactically and you look at where we've gone now and the sea change in the Premier League, it was very much a different era. And if you look at any of the the, the replays on Sky or whatever and you catch like Ruud van Nistelrooy's greatest goals that you mentioned as well, Nick, very, very different times, but brilliant for it.
2: Yeah, and I remember United and as a United fan... Ferguson used to always pick a certain team for Arsenal, right? And and Rooney touches on it here. Yeah. He'd, he'd have a panel of, of 20, right? But he, he like, I remember Park G's son, Darren Fletcher and Phil Neville, used to always play against Arsenal. Yeah. And they mightn't play for the following three weeks afterwards. So again, coming back to your point, he used to set himself up in a certain way with worker bees to kind of grind them down. Because he probably knew mm. that if they went toe-to-toe, the way Arsenal were Nicky, playing football
3: the, for Paul Scholes is not well,
2: one of
0: the big physical oh, games. Like, Buttsy, yeah. you'd be in there to... Parkinson
2: played every game yeah, against Arsenal.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, also, the article, Arsenal were nasty. And I mean that as a compliment of sorts. They would leave a foot in, on you. You could handle themselves. They wanted to compete. And another thing about the pizza gate, after full time, yeah. I remember being one of the first into the dressing room, but then hearing shouting in the tunnel outside. The manager walked in. You could see he'd been hit by something. Only you didn't know what. Then you saw the sauce in him. He took his top off and he was clearly worried and shocked. That knocked me. Alex Ferguson was someone I'd grown up watching. I'd seen then as a player how fierce and demanding he was. Then you see him in shock. You take the football out of it. You understand that he's an older man who's just come under attack that was a really well no there is
2: and 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 he, Fabregas was the one who admitted it later on in life wasn't it? that he was doing That's right, yeah. pizza because yeah. they denied it Arsenal uh, for a long period well, of time
3: like, like like you say John the whole thing was clouded in what happened for so long with Pizzagate and I think it was Fabregas yeah good few years later was the first one to kind of, oh, that's new. <laughs> and now all these years later.
0: Soup as well, I think was thrown. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but
3: yeah pizza. <laughs> but just on, on the Ferguson thing as well, because cause of the rabbit hole I went down this week, there was a brilliant ITV documentary called The Alex Ferguson Story, which was made in 92, so the year they lost the lead to Leeds which is um well worth looking it's on youtube the whole thing so if if you're into that kind of thing <clears throat> definitely give it a look.
2: you still scared by that one. But there's also like there's a bit of an undercurrent, sorry for uh, on this one as well. Um Rooney talks about getting kicked up and down the place a little bit, you know, Saul Campbell at was center back at the time actually. Um mm-hmm. But if you read all the way through it, there's like, you know, um, the late uh, Reyes, uh, Juan Antonio Reyes, wasn't it, Um, Mm. that Gary Neville would spend the first five minutes kicking him like, and then you always have this kind of undercurrent of the hard man kind of rattling into a Bergkamp or a a Rooney or whatever, you know, like that kind of was almost given back then. The first five minutes was chaos. Yeah,
0: yeah.
3: The picture
2: picture of of (laughs) Neville going into the back of him there. That's a brilliant picture, actually. (laughs)
0: <laughs> we have live commentary today, folks, on Off the Ball. Nathan Murphy, Kenny Cunningham on Man United, Arsenal, half-four kick-off at Old Trafford with the league leaders going to a resurgence at Man United. It was interesting, Jonathan Wilson and the Observer, now this is repurposed in the Sunday Independent, after a wild £1.94 billion yeah. spree, who can doubt that the Premier League is unstoppable? Amazing, really.
2: Yeah, and look, it's quite an interesting article, actually. Um, you know, we've the the sign, signing during the week, the transfer deadline stuff, Um and I think the the point he was making was around, you know, not even how the Premier League dwarfs every other league and he comes out with a stat that Knott's no, as Forest as spent more money than <laughs> the whole championship put together. Um and is that what you need to do? And we'd yeah. the Scott Parker thing during the week where he was yeah. sacked for basically more or less saying, I what didn't get enough backing and that whole thing around financial prudence versus what do you need to spend to stay in the Premier League. Um and it does go back to, you know, in the early nineties when there was a far more Kind of, you know, egalitarian might be the right way of saying it. Mm. Kind of distribution of funds from TV. Mm. Premier League broke away, redistribution of money. You know, where fifty percent went to the top, and then that's now gone and changed again. Where, what's the? I think it's you get thirty or forty million for coming last or something like. um, So you know, the the, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer and the gap is getting bigger and the money's getting wild. And, you know, we talked about post-COVID and these clubs are going broke and now they're spending billions, literally, on on players. And he he touches on the morality of it, of inflation and recession. And I think he has a thing around uh, a player, an average player, um, getting paid more in a a week than a nurse or a doctor, or or sorry, a nurse or a teacher gets in a year. So there is a
0: kind of a thing around well how much is too much well yeah, Um, as I said there's something particularly jarring about the spending given the general economic picture as energy prices rise threatening millions with fuel poverty and potentially bankrupting tens of thousands of businesses including lower league football clubs whom floodlights may soon become an impossible expense the idea that 100 million could be spent on Anthony or 5 million on Calvin Ramsey for that matter comes to feel almost distasteful
3: It's, it's interesting to think you know the natural question for me is where does this end like, we've for years, you go back even to Alan Shearer's British transfer record, Roy Keane's whatever, 3.75 million. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's madness. You know, Trevor France, the first million pound player, and you're like, where does this end? I mean, great. This is an article loaded with stats and a rare example of it being brilliant for it. The context that Jonathan Wilson places here, you make, you mentioned Nottingham Forest stat. It's actually more than every championship and Brazilian club combined. It's ridiculous. You know, who wants to be born with scorned for spending a meager 27 million euro, which is the same as the entire Greek league? He ends it seven clubs have spent more than 100 million net this summer. These are sums beyond the rest of the world, yet some of those sides may not even finish in the top half. And you mentioned as well, Nick, how this has all been coming over a period of time. Mm. And the, the advent of the Premier League is the natural point for us all to go yeah. to. I think the really interesting point here is Jonathan Wilson saying... Back to 1983, that's where he's kind of starting it. In English football, until 1983, 20% of gate receipts went to the away team. And then this chipping away at the, whatever egalitarianism was there, that's when it started. So that's nine years before the Premier League started. And like, where does it end? Like, Football is, we talked about bubbles earlier on, it just lives by its own rules. When you see what Barcelona are doing. Yeah.
0: It's just... <clears throat> but you talk about European Super League. The global Super League is the Premier League.
3: Yeah.
0: And the I still think there's potential because really only in the last 15 years did they get their international broadcast rights right. Yeah, I yeah. still think there's potential around that, like America, that it's been an exponential growth in recent years. I, I still think there's this growth potential. I, about, I, I agree so with if you that. ask me where it's going to stop, I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. I, I agree. And with nation states getting involved, with yeah. U, Saudi yeah. Arabia, with the UAE, yeah. with the Ameri- American people uh, getting involved, thinking that like, there there is huge. Uh, Revenue potential out of this, so sure, right,
2: yeah. But they, even if you look at, the, they, he touches on a point here around the um, we've seen this. He calls a hollowing out of the Dutch leagues and the Belgian leagues and the second secondary tier leagues, and he's talking about a hollowing out of Syria and La Liga, where the better players are just getting soaked up, and you end up with a kind of a a, a class system of Premier League kind of Syria as La as and then a whole raft of others. Um, and where, <clears throat> excuse me, where's that going to end? Like, <clears throat> there was a school. I thought that this was all mostly TV money driven because the money was so big in TV and that broadcast rights bubble and if is, if that kind of comes in a little bit based on all the different platforms that people are using I, I don't know but then you've got the Facebooks and mm. all these other people who want to get their a hold of, of, of football rights um, and then you've got the ownership issue which you've alluded to John which is you know people aren't in football to even have any sense of break even they're in football for various other reasons and <clears throat> there's bottomless pits of money um, going into, into soccer clubs football clubs and where is it going to end? I don't know.
3: Maybe we've reached peak, peak madness. <laughs>
2: I don't. Well, I you would, know, I, I, you I, wouldn't
0: I, think after you'd think after pandemic you would have, but I don't think so. I think. But it's lo, look at the picture that
3: comes with this. It's a picture of Erling Haaland. Mm. Okay. So, what was the criticism of the Premier League for all its riches for a number of years? The best players were playing in Italy yeah, and Spain, yeah. particularly Spain, yeah. when you had Messi and Ronaldo over there doing their thing. But Haaland is one of the top players in the world, unquestionably. Yeah. But some of them are still playing. In PSG, in uh, La Liga, a few of them maybe in in, um, the Bundesliga and and in Serie A. But if we're looking at this and we're saying we're all in agreement, this hasn't peaked yet. This is just going to keep going through. Eventually you'll get to a point where all the Hellens will be playing in the Premier League. That is the natural end point. If this continues, as he says, and you said Mick, I mean, it's the hollowing out of La Liga at this stage. That's the second biggest league. So that is the natural
2: conclusion. To and, it. and then, yeah, you know, they, the clubs are a bit more strategic, maybe, than what they were, because you've this thing where, you know, Man City have these satellite clubs as well. York, they, yeah. New York. New York, the one in Australia, I think, um, and a number of others dotted mm-hmm. around the place. So actually, are they all just in existence to. To feed the big machine, um, and are we going to be left with the days of the underlakes? one a better way of saying it. And the club yeah, yeah, right? yeah. are they just going to be, you know, decimated to a point of insignificance?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, look, you, how many national champions can't get into the Champions League? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that's that's again going back to nineteen eighty three and the advent of the Premier League. It's just a constant frittering away of whatever sort of sporting values are there for 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 money. Yeah, that's all it is.
0: Uh, most of the coverage in the papers is match report based because obviously we don't have GA Championship at the moment. We don't have rugby really uh, getting into gear yet. Although it's interesting that Stuart Barnes and um, Stephen Jones have kind of done a one-year from the World Cup piece in, in the Sunday Times. But I'm just sick to death, lads, of VAR, and uh, reading every single article in the papers, has got a VAR element to it. I don't remember football being broken beyond repair before VAR. I remember a couple of controversial incidents over 30, 40 years, Maradona and Henri being the obvious ones that come to mind. But life is grey, and to me, this is uh, soiling the game, um, because maybe it's more in England. I think in Europe, it seems to be better applied but every single um, game, nearly yesterday, had a VAR component to discuss, and we're not really even talking about the matches a match of the day mm. anymore. So I don't know what what the solution is for them in England. But have you fe- felt that VAR has been a good thing to bring into to football?
3: No, I, I, I don't. I don't say like the very nature of football, the ninety minutes of it. It's not rugby where it's constantly broken up. You know, there's a flow to a football game that shouldn't be interfered with. Mm. I mean, that's the whole point of it. We talked with referees in the context of abuse that they get earlier on. I mean, it's a a hollowing out of the referee's authority on the pitch, on the field of play. And many times have we seen a referee make a decision, gets a word in his ear a couple of seconds later, go over and watch the screen on the side of the pitch. Fundamentally, I don't agree with it. I agree with you, John. I don't think it was that broken beyond despair, but I think VAR is a a natural component. It's a natural step for for the game to have taken, given the soap opera nature of it. I mean, we talk about every aspect of sport. We, we boil it down to a millimetre of its life and this is where it comes. Everything must have an answer. Nothing can be left kind of on the shelf and, and undecided. You, you think there's an entertainment
0: aspect oh, to absolutely. this? Absolutely.
3: I, I don't think people who run football are, are against this at all. I think they like this. This gets column inches. It gets people on... on well, it TV gets people talk. animated. Absolutely. Yeah, I,
2: I, I, just, I, absolutely. Just, I disagree. I I, I, I I, take your point, right? Anna, and I think, you know, I, I think technology to inform decisions are so much at stake. Out of a fairness point of view, I, I've no issue with it. I think its application, I think, is wrong. Mm. I think they go way too far back sometimes yeah. in incidents that it get called from, you know, a minute or two before. Um, and I, I, I've no issue with going to a TV because this was I, I think what's
0: happened now is that the referees don't trust themselves anymore you mm. see they that don't. referee in the a, Chelsea West Ham game yesterday it was never a foul on Mendy no and uh, West Ham equalised and they should get a point and there's a the celebration of Corne and then it's all just yeah, and, and if and
2: if there was yeah. no VAR, with the Everton goal have, have, have stood? It was so marginal as
0: well. Um, but just, I, I just think it's so, it's, it's taking a little bit of the joy now. Maybe in a rugby way, when we have a TMO and there's that initial reaction, we got to try, and then we have the second reaction. Maybe I don't know if a fan experience is lessened. I just feel if you're an Everton fan, you see Connor Cody score yesterday, that is pure. He's yeah. a Liverpool lad. It's pure joy, <laughs> and then it's pulled back, <laughs> and then it's not a goal. There's something for me that's a bit oh, about that. I know, and 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 look.
2: I, I'm I'm for sport and fairness in this, and I think if there, if technology can help, great. I think its application is wrong, and I think something that everyone is forgetting about is that there's a human being looking at the screen as well, so he can make a mistake. It, it, var isn't this kind of you know yeah problem. yeah people want perfection yeah. now because yeah. of var yeah, yeah. We'll it's, it's not a machine the human that, that spits artificial yeah. intelligence yeah. Yeah. so, so and, you know it's a person looking at a screen who still like the Chelsea West Ham one is one that you mentioned, but there's been loads of instances where you kind of go
3: intent, you know, all that kind of stuff is, is, is still... But that's, that's the point, isn't it? I mean, if there's, and that's central to it. If there's a human being still making decision with all this technology and they're still getting it wrong, well, just get rid of the technology and just go back to having things wrong. And like you say, John, we've this compulsion to kind of have everything under a control. Life in any aspect is not like that. You can't control everything. And it's the beauty of football, that the variances that happen in a game of football, whether it's a deflection or a... Thing with brilliance or whatever, and referees again. Going back to our earlier uh, conversation, they're a fundamental part of it, for right or yeah. for wrong. That's uh, like I know uh, something like goal line technology. Brilliant. You've a, a watch on his yeah. list Bam! Look, lads, it's over the line or it's not over the line. Play on. Something as simple as that. Absolutely. Like in in GA with um, Hawkeye. Uh, Hawkeye as well. Absolutely perfect. That's cut and dried. But like you say, if you're if you're in Stockley Park and you're looking at 12 different angles of a replay and you're like, I have to make a decision on yeah, yeah. this. I can't go back to the referee and say, Johnny, I don't know. You'd be absolutely out in your ear. Like, you know, it's it's yeah. creating ridiculous pressure on him, and like you say, John, on the on the referee. I have to come up with a decision. There's millions of people watching, but I really don't know after watching it. Yeah. You know, it's
1: uh, ah yeah. play the game. The Sunday Papers on off the ball. The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball
0: Rory McIlroy uh, Eamon Sweeney the back of the Sunday Independent distraction becomes inspiration on his win in the uh, PGA Tour FedEx Cup uh, finale obviously we know the Live Golf Tour is uh, up and running at the moment Uh, they're allowed to wear shorts which is wonderful for them Um, the the one one paragraph I took out of the McElroy thing he's intelligent enough to realise the reputational damage the sport he loves will suffer if its stars are seen to privilege the bottom line above everything else and also Paul uh, McGinley the former Ryder Cup captain is interviewed in the Sunday Times speaking about live golf and all that kind of thing um, is it from David Walsh? Just yeah. Back at the Sunday Times piece as well. Yeah. And this, but this is interesting the Sunday Times interview with Paul McGinley. Uh, the key to the anger felt by ordinary non live members of the DP World Tour uh, is that these guys who've taken the big money from live think they're entitled to come back and take the places of players who support our tour week in week out. The live players don't turn up for two or three million euro tournaments in the Czech Republic or Switzerland, but they will come in for the six million tournament in Wentworth. Mm. This has led to a lot of resentment. Keith Pelley, who's the boss of the DP World Tour, has spoken to virtually every one of our players not one wants to live guys in our tournaments Messy golf but Rory taking the lead on it
3: that's the key though like Rory will get all the the column inches but that's fundamentally the issue that matters you know why should a guy stay around playing the check open for half the purse or a quarter of the purse like um, I don't know
2: look there's load in this and, and this is going to run on, on, and run, and run. I, I, I think there's an inevitable um, ceasefire going to happen here at some point I think there, there's a lot of posturing on both sides, you're getting to a place where the original kind of usher it's kind of Mickey Mouse golfers who are at the end of their tether, who, you know, um, are no use anyway and they're just cashing in. Unfortunately or fortunately, whatever you want to, unfortunately, like a lot of top golfers have have left um, and it's completely weakened the original tour. So, is this going to get to a place where there's going to have to be a compromise and maybe a window left for live where players can play ranking points? So part
0: of the year or something.
2: I I, I just think it just you, you've, you've you've two imperfect championships, one a better way of saying it, are two imperfect setups um, who are both weakened by the fact that they're missing really great golfers on both sides. Um, there's an unstoppable force on one side and the legacy and tradition on the other side. You know, I don't think there's a winner here. So somebody has to... There will be a... And you, I Sometimes you hear a softening language and you kind of go, OK, well, this is moving towards... I, I'd say 18 months from now we'll have some kind of a system set up where there would be a release clause for players to play there'd be
0: a live game. part of the year say september to december which was actually an
2: original plan I understand was to have a 6 week window where you'd play and so i i i don't think this is going to go away i think with McElroy, i think it's really interesting like sometimes it's going kind to of scratch my head to start going why is he doing this like why is he taking this on his shoulders like and because he believes in the heritage of the game maybe he does and 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 you'd like to think that that's it's it, it is a live th- golf so far has been exhibition golf hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and I think look with, with McElroy, like I, I think he's been really vocal. I kinda get a sense from him, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, John, on this, but he's a guy who had so much success early, so much money, so much everything that goes with that, right? And he kinda looked to me like a fella who had kind of lost a bit of drive, right? And had kinda lost his magic, right? And I think what this has done actually for him is he's taken this on and it's kind of given him a sense of purpose and a mm-hmm. bit of fire. He's playing brilliant, you know, and and it's great to see from him. And it's kind of given it's him a little a, fire within him,
0: yeah. 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 And,
2: and it's, it's, he, he like, genuinely must believe in this because he's putting his neck he, out. The he's whole done
0: every time. single thing but win the majors this year. But you have to think the majors are coming again for McElroy. It's, it, it does seem though that he needs a purpose,
2: yeah. And yeah, and, and I think if you have so much so young, maybe you know, it's hard to put yourself in
0: those shoes. But I think maybe he realises and the like linking up with Tiger Woods as he has recently to. Say even versus comes the PGA Tour. Maybe Rory has realised that he has that X factor popularity that other players don't, and he's maybe re- embracing that. Yeah, and he has, the, and, 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 yeah. and he's got a comfort with that. He's a young father now uh, that he might not have had seven, eight, nine years ago, yeah, when but he was just another golfer.
2: I, I agree, and I, there's just one point. Say, Brendan, there's one point on on the, the we talk about the golfers, right, and and you know. Um, this kind of disdain that that some of the players have for the fellas who've defected and the language that's used is quite kind of antagonistic right but actually when they get together the, the personal stuff doesn't seem to have changed right so they kind of lump them all into this kind of the bowl boys have gone but then when they meet
0: them like at the Pro-Am and whatever they're all pally pally again Yeah but I think when the Ryder Cup comes to town in, in, in terms of being held next year I think it'll get a bit more tense then like for example Sergio has lived for the Ryder Cup John Ram wants to play with yeah. another Ryder Cup I think it's going to get a bit messy then Yeah um, I,
3: think, I think it's really interesting that all the stuff that we're talking about is real big picture stuff but on, on McElroy as well, uh, David Walsh's piece in the back of it is literally all about his
0: game. And yeah, it's, and there's improvement in this game. You know, it's, yeah. it,
3: and it just struck me reading it. It was like, I'm reading about referee abuse. I'm reading about women's yeah. sport and where it's going. And I'm reading about billions in the Premier League. And now, what? Oh, oh, Rory McIlroy's putting.
1: Book, yeah. Oh, right, OK. This
3: is, sports pages are taking a different turn, like, yeah. you know. But it's a really good piece. And... Um, you know, I, I agree with everything you've said about it. I think this has lit a fire under him. Yeah. But it's also based on the fact that he's addressed areas of his game. And a lot of this is about his putting. But uh, this is something I thought from just my observations of him last year and this year. Brad Faxon's putting coach, says we shouldn't forget that McIlroy's progress hasn't just been on the greens. His approach play has improved beyond...
0: All that levels. would suggest he's put a lot of work in.
3: Absolutely, on his putting and his approach play. So that goes into what you're talking about, the hunger, the fire. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it properly. Uh,
0: the, Paul Kimmage in The Sunday Independent, Brendan. I have a question, where have all the journalists gone? This is around the athletics scene at the moment. Has he got a point?
3: Um, yeah, the, the question here is how much and how often do you preface or include everything about drugs and sport with what you're writing or talking about? Yeah.
0: Like, I don't think every interview about athletics yeah. or cycling has to have a question or a theme about doping. Yeah,
3: but in the general point about the coverage in Munich, and I was in Munich, maybe, yeah, he does have a point. Um, I know I was in Munich, I was doing 12 to 15 hour days, so I wasn't looking at what everybody else was writing or whatever. But yeah, there probably is a, a case to be made. And it's a case you could expand by something like Qatar at the end of the year. How much do you write about the human side of qatar the morality of it
0: and at what point do you say half an hour into the first game well we've all forgotten about that's
3: the point like you know and in fairness it is a bit different we're talking doping which is going on throughout championships it you know what i mean but then the human aspect is there throughout the world cup so
0: you're in munich would you have felt that doping was something that might have happened at munich
3: yes absolutely yeah and it's discussions that you would have but uh, you know what can you put in print
0: which you can't Um, prove exactly like you know but paul's point so so my point is uh, athletic cycling will never be pure
3: no but most most sports will never be pure most sports have never been pure do you know what i mean so it's always there and again it comes back to the 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 central point here how much does that inform on a daily basis when you're covering it? it it informs everything but how much space how much focus does it get does every article you read uh, at an Olympics or a World Cup or whatever it might be. You have a an asterisk above it or at the bottom of it. You know what are we watching here? I I, 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 think, I, I think
2: there's an element of fairness in what he's saying. Right? Yeah, and I think if you watch highlights of match of the day, you don't want to spend the whole hour or whatever it is an hour and a half talking about money and talking mm. about.
0: the... Of course, that's huge. You want to talk about the game? And you want to talk about the? But well, sp- well, the last I watched match of the day last night, most of it was talk about VAR. Mm. Yeah. people don't want to talk about that. And I like to see supporter for a lot of people as well as the uh, importance of of asking these kind of questions. Is it is escapism? People want to escape from.
2: No, I, I agree with you, John, and, and, and I, I, I think you're right. I, I do think though what his argument, as far as I can read it, is um, you had too many flag wavers in the mm. studio. There was nobody there to ask, you know, kind of probe around some of the issues around athletics in particular. Right? Fair enough like maybe in an analysis piece at the end of the tournament or end of the championships or somewhere that could have been but you know I think the people who went in there did a pretty good job of breaking down what was happening Explaining to the to the to the viewer this is what's going on and uh, the escapism of watching sport and people for a change, thankfully watching athletics again and watching Irish athletes compete, which is which is something we've something have kind of forgotten about
0: mm. um over the last five or six years. Um sometimes the context doesn't doesn't lend itself to it. I did a racing road show last week uh, with Jared Lyons and Johnny Murta, and just the vibe of it, it was a fun vibe. It wasn't really lending itself yeah. towards let's talk about Jim Bulger now and what he said about uh mm potential issues around doping in Irish racing. Not every single thing no. has to be like Israel al you know, uh, I'm looking through Tommy Conlon's article here, I don't see any questions no. around. No,
3: that's a 2000 word piece minimum and it's not mentioned in the same paper. So that does explain what I think what we're talking about. Yeah. when Where does it come in? And, and you can make the argument in that piece, that's a 100 metre runner. So that's an event that has a huge history of doping. Um, for Israel Olatunde to get in, Tommy mentions in the piece he needs to go under 10 seconds to get to a World Championships. He's 10:17, so there is a natural question here: How does this happen if you're running clean to get to, to bridge that gap? Do you know what I mean? So, look, it, it's a very fair point, and I think it's a good thing that we have articles like this, maybe making us stop and think. You know personally speaking am I doing enough should I concentrate more on it
0: yes is the, the but answer but not everyone can be I no. think that's important as well yeah. to say Like one of the things about the Israel Ala tunday Tommy Connolly piece is uh, on the upside his daily commute from Dundalk to UCD yeah. and back again is over it involved a bus from his hometown to Parnell Square a second bus from McConnell Street to UCD the same one in reverse every evening unless he got a lift home from his father, who also works in the city. It was so, 90 minutes each way, sometimes longer. And a couple of days each week, he'd have to make it his way out to Tala AC for training before the long schlep home to Dundalk at night. Now, it's going to improve for him, but how are you supposed to compete <laughs> in this environment? And that more, again, is about the whole structure of the support yeah. for Irish athletics. If you want uh, Rashida Alecate to be a world champion or Olympic gold medal winner at 400 metres now, she's gone to America mm. The structures have to be there to support that and it has to be an industry around that.
3: Absolutely and and Paul Kimmage in his piece makes a a point about um, people moaning about um, the lack of funding for coaches which is kind of offhand way of putting it we do need funding for coaches. We do need more money in Irish athletics. We do need a better structure for all these people, there's no doubt about it, that does not for a second take away from the, the anti-doping aspect of it, but these are all issues and like I I'd, I'd read that about Israel all the time before and his, his schlep up and down from, mm. from, um, from Louth down to the city centre and out to Tala, it's astonishing he did what he did. Um, given, given yeah, that regime,
2: the, the, only, the only slight counter is, right, if um, if all of us have probably been out to the campus, Fort Ireland campus, and it's amazing, right, and I think we're at a point now where there are facilities and there is funding that somewhat gets to a place where, unlike 30 years ago, where the system was getting in the way of athletes, where actually <coughs> there is a system, right? Yeah. The thing around the athlete coaching thing is interesting because what used to happen was they would get their own coaches, and they would be paying privately, right? Yeah, and yeah. they still do, right? A lot of them, right? But the the inference being is that that the the government through the mechanism of the national governing body will pay for your coach. So they're saying that you they'll, they'll give you your 40,000 thousand euro a year as a high as a high performance athlete. Mm. Plus, my understanding is that your coaching is is done through the high performance structure mm. of the NGP. Now, where it gets subjective is is, is that coach the right coach for the athlete, and some of them still go and get their own coaches privately, and hence the argument around, well, should we be getting more yeah. money to support our coaching yeah. needs as well? Yeah. But if you give everyone money for coaching, well then, what's the point
3: of having your elite? Well, Athletics is such a diverse sport. Yeah. Um, you know, running, jumping, distance, sprint, everything like that. People, scholarships in the States, people over in Loughborough, people based at home. Yeah. Like, I don't envy anybody trying to come up with a system where where it works, but unquestionably something needs to be done to better sport
0: what else uh, just to finish up have uh, we spotted anything else that we like um, Ten Hag uh, you know Arsenal's but Tottenham's victory yesterday. Ten
2: Hag is yeah. a genius obviously uh, well, <laughs> Ten Hag
0: laying down the law to Ronaldo it's, it's, it's interesting that Ten Hag like has to he has to for his own sake lay yeah. down the law and say Maguire you can't play Ronaldo you can't play unless you're good enough so uh, those vic- that victory against Liverpool was huge for United obviously they've got a couple cents to play again today but I was even reading the Atlantic yesterday they've, they've significantly backed Ten Hag mm. in every single way now they've opened the purse strings and this is, I think is a way of the Glazers get the heat off themselves but today, every single time the Glazers reach the brink yeah. they, they throw them put the money in I think they're talking about two hundred and fifty million they've spent, like the the money even is astronomical. Well, for I,
2: I, I saw the slag of the United fans was the you know they put the art scarves away for a few weeks, you know. Um, <laughs> but I think um, look, the Liverpool game was a bit of a one-off. Liverpool do look like a slightly faded force, and that derbies are derbies, right? Um, Southampton followed by uh, Leicester. I watched the Leicester game and I thought, you know, I should have won by five or six mm. against a very poor Leicester team, and we're hanging on at the end actually. Had a couple
0: of chances. What's
3: your team again, Mick? <laughs> United. <laughs> you, Brendan? Uh, lapsed Man
0: United. Long, no, long, okay. long, long time ago. Okay. Long, long time You time. no longer go to Mass. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I t- you no, know, as a United fan, I, I actually refused to go last year. It was so bad.
0: Gary Neville's book is serialised in the uh, Irish Stadium, or the, whatever, the, the mail. Um... Since 2016, the club have paid annual dividends to shareholders worth 154 million. Another 11 million was paid out in dividends in June of 2022. Most of which goes to the Glazer family. That's after the club lost 23 million in 2020 and 92 million in 2021 and won no trophies. This might well be allowable under company law, but as Jim O'Neill, lifelong United fan and former partner in Goldman Sachs, says, it seems that basically Man United has been reduced to being a cash machine for the Glazer family. What should never happen is that the owners creaming off money, even if it's allowed under the rules, when staff are struggling and the club. Needs investment. You can't take millions a year out when the ground is rusty and the training mm-hmm. ground needs refurbishing and the team is in disarray. But the rules allow it. This is Wild West capitalism. It's allowed. And this is unfortunately the horse is bolted. Absolutely. I've got debts, I've got mortgages, I've got loans, says Gary Neville. <laughs> loans aren't necessarily bad. <laughs> My biggest problem is a lack of attention to the club and United's decline under the Glazers' ownership. I always knew that Sir Alex was a phenomenal genius. What I didn't properly appreciate was that his presence covered up for the ineptitude of the Glazers. Yeah. Welcome to reality. Yeah, well, st- structurally, it
2: does look like United need a, a, a total revamp um, and reset. Like, the owner of the club, ownership of the club, it's open to You were at Tottenham recently. Like, if you go to Old Trafford compared to Tottenham, oh. there's no comparison. Tot- in terms Tot- of Tot- Tottenham's amazing. Um, but you look at United and it, it, it does look like it needs a top-down reset. That It doesn't matter who the owners are. Um, if you don't have the right directors of football, the right CEO, culturally, the club's in the, go- in, in the wrong place. Like, so, you look at City for right or for wrong or Liverpool they look like clubs that are well run Mm -hmm. and I do agree with the Fergie thing I think he probably to force a personality and that team winning way beyond probably itself by date probably covered up issues that were coming down down the pipe I think overall in the papers myself and Brendan were chatting about this earlier the lack of GA and I know there is GA but the lack of is kind of we really should be talking about an All Ireland final today, or even last week's All Ireland final, right?
0: Well, we're not talking about the club scene. Wasn't the whole point uh, we're going to create this uh, six months uh, of for club players? And There's a bit uh, of David Clifford at the Celtic match yesterday,
3: yeah, and uh, yeah. a bit of this and I, a bit of that. Well, you were never going to have the club game in the papers, or on like it's just. But Larry McCarthy game.
0: said it was the most important thing of the year I, at the All Ireland final. Yeah, but that
3: doesn't mean it has to be in the national media. I yeah, mean, that's that's the reality of it. i know
0: well, See, that's the disconnect that there is between the big show, the thing that. Uh, Enchants the whole nation, which is the All-Ireland Championship, the inter-county season, which is what drives more revenue for the G.A., which you can put back into units association, which starts with the club and benefit the whole association. I think this is madness.
2: The G.A. GA came from the right place in Mm. trying to make the change it was making, which was to make sure that there was better balance. What it did is it redressed the balance too far. I I I agree. I I
3: think it needs tweaking, but I like the idea of it. I mean, like everything you say is right, but... The way it was, the club player was just getting shafted year in, year out. And we talked about referees in decline. There's lots of anecdotal evidence about club players just disappearing, not hanging around,
0: turning but into but sports. Surely uh, most intercounty players have been in the States?
2: Well, they have. But then
0: you bring it forward another couple of weeks,
3: so maybe the All-Irelands don't finish until, what, the back end of another three weeks or whatever does that help in cutting out this flow of traffic to the US and they just go straight into the club scene I don't
2: know
0: If the and on the other hand like there's players like TJ Reid probably never get a break all year
2: yeah and look and, and, and GA an inter-county player will tell you it's great Right, that's another thing yeah. because they all got a holiday this year and mm. they did in the past and not this open-ended season and the madness of playing the first round of the comic championship and then playing the second round nine weeks later yeah. like bananas right stuff and then the GA managers too much control and they won't release the players to the clubs the principle of what they're doing is right what they've done is they've gone too far and i think they need to bring the all-around finals back to middle of august end of august for the hurling and football it's all about the summer. Like we were down west um, uh, in Lahinch and after the football final, the kids are out trying to be David Clifford and Shane Walsh. Three days later, they're back playing soccer. <laughs> right. But you got you got to give them that window of, mm. of time and losing out that bit of the back to school thing and the cups going around the schools. And there is something in that. Yeah, also the
0: intrigue of a two to three week lead up
2: to a lot final, and even a the search for tickets. And like mm. and like and like that thing of. Um, you know, if the idea is one of the ideas is to finish the All Ireland Club Final, say the first week in December, so you have a calendar year, mm. and let the Club Final be the the curtain coming down on the season, which it should give it give its place. You can still do that by finishing the All Ireland Finals at the end of
0: August. People forget you want to talk about two teams in the final, so there's, there's all old, the other teams going yeah, playing their championships yeah, yeah. if they
2: want to be
1: playing. I them. make
0: the Club uh, Finals a huge thing. Make it a big thing. Market 100%. it massively. Like have a have a have a national holiday around it, whatever. Um, but I just think there's been a gap here. I like Today, mainly on the programme between 1 and 7 on News Talk, it's two Premier League games. It's yeah. Leona Maguire. It's a bit of Dan- Danish golf, it got golf in Denmark. It's the Grand Prix in Holland. That's mm. it. Yeah. And we should be talking about, at
2: this time of the year, I think we should be also talking about GEA. Mm.
0: Brandon O'Brien from the Irish Examiner and Michael O'Keefe from Tenio CEO. Thanks so much, lads. Brilliant stuff. Appreciate your time. on the Sunday boys. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll speak soon.
1: The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball.